So this morning I want you to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And I want to begin reading right there at verse number 1. We won't get through this whole chapter, but we're going to get through some of it. Verse number 1, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. The Bible says, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken uh, in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain uh, uh, salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. That whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Verse 11 says, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. Heavenly Father, we thank You so much, Lord, for today. We thank You for the cross. We thank You for bearing our sins, becoming our sins on that old wicked cross, Lord, so many years ago, Lord, taking that sin and, and uh, taking it to the grave, Lord, paying that sin debt, Lord, and just coming out of that grave, proving Yourself to be God, taking that sin out of the way, separating it from us as far as the east is from the west, Lord. We thank you so much for that, Lord. And Lord, we come together today as believers, Lord, to, to lift up your holy name, to worship you, Lord. The best of our ability, Lord, we want to give it to you. And Lord, we ask that you meet with us and forgive us and use us instead of us, or in spite of us, rather, Lord, and just, uh, Lord, be a blessing uh, to us, Lord. We, 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 we long for you, Lord, and we ask that you be here with us, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as always, as we've been going through this, this epistle here, uh, Scripture is inexhaustible. There's no depth that we can go that we won't get enough. Uh, we're always, there's always more left. So even though we have studied through 1 Thessalonians this month and preached through a month of Sundays, if you will, there is much, much remaining. Much, much uh, remains untouched. And as many of you know, there is a theme of readiness in this book. There's a theme of readiness. Of, it's almost like the Christians are on the edge of their seat waiting for the Lord's return. There's a theme of readiness found in this book and 2 Thessalonians. And Paul elaborates a bit of that readiness at the end of chapter 4 and into chapter 5. It really turns it up a notch in 2 Thessalonians. But again, our focus this morning will be on 1 Thessalonians verses, or chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, without ignoring the rest of the passages, or any other passages for that matter, that can shed light on uh, the subject for this morning. And while I believe the Bible clearly teaches a pre-wrath rapture uh, of the saints, of His church, which Paul will talk about, we'll talk a little bit about that this morning, that's not our goal. Our goal this morning is for the perfecting of the saints, as he, Ephesians 4.11 talks about, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith. And all of this is truly done. We, we do this so that we all, collectively and individually, can better worship God. That's our goal, to better worship God, to better glorify God and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, with our whole being. With all of us, not just a Sunday morning, not just with our mind, not just with our heart, not just with our bodies, but 
All of us. All of us. Look, uh, look real quick, if you don't mind, at verse 23 of that same chapter. And this is still by way of introduction, of course. But verse 23 says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. Holy. Now, that's not H-O-L-Y. That's W-H-O-O uh, completely, if you will. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So get that now. Whole spirit, whole soul, whole body. Friends, that's a reference to all of me. That's a gesture. You know, that's like I hurt here. That's everywhere. And Paul is referring to all of us. He's referring to all of you. We are a three-part being of existence. So our life in Christ, it's, it's not some mental ascent. It's not some subjection of our body to certain rituals. It's not some soul experience. It's the complete package. We are a new creature. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. That's either true or it isn't true. We are a new creature. Behold, all things are become new. All things are become new. So as we approach our specific text this morning, uh, there is a personal prerequisite that we have here from the text. A personal prerequisite before there can be a personal application. Does that make sense? So there's, there's something required of us before we can take this text and apply it to our lives. So I want you to notice real quick again verse 1. The Bible says, chapter 5 here, but of the times and the seasons, notice that next word, brethren, brethren. Verse 1 of this entire epistle back in chapter 1 states that this letter is written unto the church of Thessalonians, which is in God and in the Lord Jesus Christ. So get this, this is kind of a conclusion that I got here, sort of to our introduction. <laughs> if there was any doubt in Paul's mind about the personal salvation of those in Thessalonica, in that church there, his emphasis would not so much be on the return of Christ as much as, much as it would be on their eternal, uh, their personal salvation. It would be more focused on that. It would, it would certainly not be to comfort one another. Paul would not tell them to comfort one another if... He had any doubt that they knew the Lord Jesus Christ. So that personal prerequisite is that we must know the Lord as our Savior. There's no comfort. His emphasis, if they were not saved, would have been on receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 18 of chapter 4 says, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. But as we mentioned last week, very clearly, very as bold as I can, I can make it, there is no comfort without Christ. There's no comfort without Christ. He is the God of all comfort. Any comfort that doesn't come from God is a hoax. It's superficial. It's fake. Short-lived. So while I strongly believe that the church is not a hospital for the sick, but the assembling of believers to worship Jesus Christ, the gospel message is for all. For God so loved the world. We spent a couple hours yesterday looking at that passage. What a... What a great passage. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Friends, we believe in a whosoever salvation. That means anybody. That means anybody can come to Christ. I don't care where you're from, what color you are, what culture you have, what background it does not matter. We are all equal at the foot of the cross. We all need Jesus Christ. 
Romans 10, 9 says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's as simple as simple can be. You know, there's enough, there is enough confusion in the world. You watch the news a lot and you're like, what is going on? There should not be confusion in the church. God is not the author of confusion. And that's why he made it simple one way. No man cometh unto the Father, cometh unto the Father but by me, the Lord Jesus Christ says. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And when you receive Christ as your Savior, if you have already received Christ as your accept, you accepted that payment made for your sins, then you realize what comfort is. Then you start to have an idea of what comfort is. Our perspectives change. Our, everything about us changes. The movies we watch change. The music we listen to changes. Our, our language changes. Our demeanor changes. Everything about us changes because it's a whole person thing. Body, soul, and spirit. And even our destinies change. It's probably the greatest thing about that. So, and then if, you, if you've done that, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, when you read chapter 5, which says, But of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no doubt that when they say brethren, that's God talking to me. God talking. Again, think about that. We have a book written to us by our Creator. I mean, I, I mention this quite often sometimes. You remember when you're in uh, maybe first grade or second grade, maybe kinder. I had a, I had a kindergarten, kinder before first grade. And I was in there, and my wife is amazed that I still remember her name, but her name was Becky Sebring, and she had a crush on me. And <laughs> I wasn't worthy, but she would send me notes during, during the class, and I would get those notes, and she's like, I like you, whatever. And I'm like, oh, that's cool, you know, and I'd put it in my, my, quarter, my purple corduroy pocket or whatever, you know. <laughs> and, you know, with, I tried to hide it under my long collars. But anyway, you know, so I had that note, and I'd take it home, and I'm like, wow, how cool it is. And, and as you get older, you know, you, you have your significant other you're married to, and, and maybe you're gone for a long time, maybe a deployment or maybe a trip to the States or some other place in the world, and they write you a letter. It's just something special about that person who loves you taking the time to put ink to paper. Even today, by the way, I think if the Lord would come back, the Bible would not be on Facebook. It would not be an Instagram text. It would still be written word. God would still put it in written. Now, it's still all out there, and I'm not against those things. But the word makes a difference. So when we read brethren, it's God speaking directly to us. And in fact, there are, there are actually three groups of people right here in this passage here. I don't know if you've caught that or not. But uh, look, look at verses 1 and 2. Notice the word ye and yourselves, or you and yourselves. Um, you see that ye have no need that I write unto you, verse 2, for yourselves. And then look at verse number 3. You see, for when they, obviously a contrast between you and they. And then look at verse number 5. At the end of verse number 5, it says, we are not of the night. So ye, or you, is a specific reference to the Thessalonian believers. It's, it's to them. And by contrast, because of the Holy Spirit applied to us, it's also to us. But they is a specific reference to those outside of belief, those unbelievers in general. And then there's we. Paul puts himself with the believers. So this is a specific reference to all believers, including you and including me. And while we'll make mention of the they in this, in this sermon this morning, uh, it's going to be more directed to the we, to us. Uh, and with, with kind of a pastoral delivery aimed at equipping the saints. Like we, we, we began this sermon this morning with Ephesians 4.11 to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the perfecting of the saints. That's why we're here this morning. And with that said, I want to point out a few characteristics 
that should define every Christian. And by the way, our, our, our title of this message this morning is every or child, children of the light. And there are some characteristics that every child of light should have some attributes, if you will, that all apply to us. I'm going to give you three attributes and then I'll give you, I'll end you with one last point that because of those attributes, we have that. So look at verse number two again. Verse number two says, For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Now, I want to remind us again that these things are inexhaustible and you can get probably hundreds of outlines from this passage. So I'm going to focus just on a couple things here this morning, but look at for yourselves know. I'm going to focus on that word know. So there's some things that they knew that Paul didn't have to remind them of. Uh, he still reminded us of, of some things and he reminds us of some things. But there are some things today that children of the light just ought to, ought to be aware of. Right. And there, you ever you ever go somewhere? Well, let me put it this way. So this past week I was working on my, you know, as many of y'all know, my daughter moved back after two years of college and she's moving back in with us. And we didn't have really a room for her unless you wanted to share a room with my my son, her brother, which I'm OK with because I, I had four brothers or three brothers. And we all shared the same room until I was 18. So I, I didn't have any sympathy. But we we decided to build her uh, or refinish the attic part. So we hired some uh, friends of ours. Y'all know Frank Krause. He was here a couple a couple months ago. Uh, he works for a, a construction company, and this guy's name is Max, and he come to help us work. And I was speaking with him, and he attends that church. He's a believer down there. And one of the things he's actually been a carpenter for forty years. Uh, but one of the things that we were talking about, he brought up, is in Germany there's this there's this issue. You have Catholic churches and evangelical. And I was thinking of you, AFO, when we were talking about this. Uh, and he says there's this there's this underlying nominalism. It's just skin deep, skin deep Christianity. And, and that's not just true for Germany. It's it's worldwide. Uh, so we him and I kind of compared that to a trade. And we kind of think thought of carpentry. In other words, it would be it would be very odd and, and wrong, but mind you, for a person to call himself a carpenter and not be aware of anything about carpentry, not know anything about how to work with wood, not how to drive a nail, anything of those things. So a carpenter who knows nothing about carpentry is at best a hypocrite, if not a downright fraudulent, depending on where his mind's at, because he's posing as a carpenter. It's akin to those soldiers, you don't really hear about it too much, but those soldiers who wear those medals that, that they didn't earn. And it's also similar to a Christian who claims to be a Christian who has no idea about who Christ is. No idea about the tenets of faith. No idea about anything about Christian. It's like that Christian who says, I'm a Christian. And you go to tell him and you make a reference to something as bold or simple as John 3.16. Simple and complex, as we learned. And they're like, what? Where's that at? My father was, used to be a truck driver for a number of years. And on the side of his truck, he had John 14.6. And he ran into a truck stop and there was this preacher in there. And they were having a conversation and they walked out. He missed the sermon. He went to go hear some preaching. And the preacher walked out with him. And he looked up on the wall on, on the side of my, my father's truck. He said, hey, John 14.6. I, I, I trust that. A couple of y'all know that verse. I am the way, the truth, and the life. A pastor should know that verse. He did not know the verse. And, he, and my, my father was telling it to him. And so... My whole point is there's, we should be aware of some things. And even in my own life, there was a time, for the most part, I would have told you I was a Christian, but I was not living a life of awareness. I was complacent. And complacent's not good. 
verse 3 of this chapter here gives us a glimpse of what will befall unbelievers. And in verse 4, Paul writes, believers are not in darkness. We are the children of light. But does it not seem, maybe it's just me, that many of us who are genuine believers are not living in the light. And I'm not only speaking of the end times here, but just, just in general. Walking in darkness. I'm afraid many Christians in the age that we live in have lost their zeal. They've lost their awareness for the things of God. And if Paul would write chapter 5 to us, I don't think he can say that you know perfectly. Because we wouldn't know. Now, in context, Paul, of course, writes about the awareness that every Christian should have concerning the coming day of the Lord. And he contrasts that, that awareness with the ignorance of unbelievers. Look at verse 3 again. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Remember that they is a reference to the unbelievers. And sudden destruction will come upon them as travail upon a woman with child comes. Now think about that for a moment. Sudden destruction, similar to sudden birth pangs for a, a woman who's pregnant. Now, I've never been pregnant before. So I, <laughs> I assume that if a woman is pregnant, she knows that she's pregnant. And as she's approaching that, you know, the 40th week of that ninth month, there's probably some things going on down there. You, you know what's happening. So the Bible here is, Paul here is putting this all together here. And if you're a woman that's pregnant, you know there's no escaping that pain that would come with that. And if we reference the unbelieving world, get this now, the world is like a pregnant woman who not only cannot escape the pains that are coming with childbirth, she doesn't even know she's pregnant. Wow. Can you imagine? That's darkness. She is not aware because she is engulfed in darkness. And according to Peter, she is willingly ignorant. Willingly ignorant. We are to be aware of what the Word of God says. As Christians, we are to be aware. We are to be aware of how the Spirit of God leads us in every moment of the day. And we are to be aware of when the church of God meets. I encourage all of us, including myself, to be a faithful bride. To be a faithful bride. We need to be aware. And then look at verses 4 through 6 again. Paul says, But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Be awake. Be awake. That's pretty simple this morning. Be aware. Be awake. And I'm not trying to make a political or a social issue statement supporting one way or the other. That's for another time on a different platform. But there is a modern day term floating around that's woke. I'm sure y'all heard that, right? You heard this, this concept here? Marion Webster, thank you, Johnny. Marion Webster defines this urban word as to be actively attentive to important facts and issues. Now, my earlier point on awareness of the things of God is obviously very, very closely associated or connected to being awake. For we kind of have to be awake to be aware. It kind of goes hand in hand there. But I submit to you this morning that while we are not to ignore those real social issues, there are things that we should be concerned about in this life. But if you don't know Christ, you are not woke. 
You are not in the light. You are a child of darkness. And you need the light of the world to enter your soul permanently. You can know all there is to know about every social issue in the world, but without Christ, you are asleep. In fact, you are dead. And one might think that because Paul is writing to believers and God conveying those truths to us this morning, that Christians shouldn't have any problems with staying awake. But look at verse 6 again. Therefore, let us not sleep. This is not today anymore. This is us. Let us not sleep. It's a command for Christians not to sleep. The others in verse 6 is no doubt a reference to the they who are unbelievers. Look at that. Let us not sleep as do others. Don't be like the lost. We are not to sleep like the lost. We are to be awake and aware. How many? I was there for almost a decade. You would pass me on the street. You would think I was just as lost as the next person. I was asleep at the wheel. A sleeping Christian, sleepwalking, if you will. It's not the life of a Christian. In lieu of sleeping, God gives us two things that we should be doing while we are awake. He says, number one, look at that again right there in verse 6. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Watch and be sober. These two things we should be doing instead of sleeping. That word watch is the same word translated as vigilant in 1 Peter 5.8. It means to be awake. It means to be aware, and it even means to be armed. But we'll talk about that here in a moment. He also says to be sober. And we've talked about that a couple of weeks ago, but being sober means more than just abstaining from alcohol or abstaining from being drunk. But it means to be calm and collected in spirit, to be sober-minded. In essence, Paul is telling us the same thing Peter would eventually tell us in 1 Peter 5.8. Be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary, the devil, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. So in our lives of doing our best to allow God to work in and through us, it is often forgotten that we do have an enemy. We do have an enemy. We can live our lives according to our plan, trusting that it's also God's plan, but the enemy has a vote, right, Brother Mike? He's got a vote. He's at this table. He can do things. He can intervene and get in, get in our minds and get into our lives. He wants to destroy us. He doesn't walk around because we smell good. <laughs> he wants to eat you. He wants to devour you. He wants to destroy us. Which brings us to our next point. Look at verse number, verse number 8. The Bible says, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love. And for a helmet, the hope of salvation. We are to be armed. We are to be armed. We are to be armed with faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, And now abideth faith, hope, and charity, these things, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. And here Paul gives us a, really a similar listing, although abbreviated, uh, of the armor of God there in Ephesians chapter 6. But one thing is different. This verse is only, this, this passage here only has defensive gear. Only defensive. A helmet and a breastplate. A breastplate of faith and love are obviously there to protect the internal organs, specifically the heart. And the helmet of hope is to protect the mind. The emphasis is a strong one on defense. 
Keep the faith. Don't leave your first love and have a no-so salvation. So no matter what, never stop believing, never stop loving, and never doubt your position in Christ. Never doubt your salvation. Remember, this is written with the approach of the end times. And i got to tell you, this is one of the things that, as I was studying and putting this together, kind of sent chills down my spine as we approached the return of Christ. In Ephesians 6, we get the picture of a Christian soldier on the advance, armed with the sword of the Spirit and the gospel of God. But here we seem to get the picture of that same soldier being surrounded and grossly outnumbered by a world who hates Christ. It is almost as if his sword is sheathed. We see him still armed, but he's reaching the point where like Paul in 2 Timothy 4.6, he can say, I am now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. This soldier is standing strong in faith, hope, and love, but the end is no doubt near. And while a Christian soldier should expect and endure persecution at times, some of us have experienced these things, at times it seems as if he has not escaped the wrath of God that's promised to this world. You can look all throughout Christian history, and as they read this passage, no doubt they thought, surely this is the wrath of God. I've missed it. Somehow God's wrath is on me. But we are not to fear. We are not to fear because we can rest assured. Because look at verse number nine. God hath not appointed us to wrath. Praise the Lord. God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. This last point. We are to be aware, awake, and aimed. And because of those things, because of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have been appointed. Appointed. We are appointed to obtain salvation by the Lord Jesus Christ. The immediate takeaway for me personally is the reassurance that God will never forsake me. And know, oh, by the way, He will never forsake you either. And this verse doesn't mean that believers are not saved now, but that our complete salvation will run its course when the Lord returns. In fact, God, if you think about this, God could not lead Paul to write these words to believers if they were not saved already. And he could not write them these words to these believers if they could lose their salvation. You cannot keep an appointment if you can lose that appointment. It doesn't make any sense. They have an appointment because they're saved. I love that passage. We have an appointment with God. Praise the Lord. He has scheduled us an appointment. And when we have that appointment, our salvation will be completely fulfilled and recognized. Only the half has been told on this side. Probably not even half. In other words, as believers in this life, we have already been delivered from the punishment of sin. But at this appointment, we will be delivered from the presence of sin. And the power of sin. Praise God. And as, as true believers, according to verse 10, whether we wake or sleep, after this appointment, we will live forever. We will live together with him because he died for us. And because, he, we, have, because we have such an appointment, 
God through Paul leaves us with two things, and we'll, leave, we'll start with these two things this morning. God through Paul encourages us to do these things. Number one, to comfort one another. To comfort one another. Look at verse 11, or 10 and 11 together. Or 9, 9, nine down. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together, and edify one another, even also as you do. The Greek word Paul uses here for comfort is very closely associated with the Greek word John uses for the Holy Spirit to come alongside believers. And while we clearly cannot do for others what the Holy Spirit does for them, we're just supposed to be there. They come alongside each other to be there. And that don't always mean having the solution. It doesn't always mean words of encouragement. Just be there alongside of each other as we approach these days. If, if what I understand from these texts, there's going to be a time when it's, it's going to get tough. And it's going to, we're going to think the wrath is here, but we're not appointed to wrath, even though we have persecution. Matter of fact, I want to take a pause there before I finish there. If you want to go back in verse number or chapter three of First Thessalonians. The Bible says in verse 3 that no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. So there are some afflictions that we're appointed to. There are some things that we're going to have to go through in this life. The Bible says in other places, for every person who lives according to the book, in so many words, will, not might, but will, suffer persecution. But if you look at verse number 10 of chapter 1, The Bible says, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. So there's there's a wrath and there is an affliction. There's persecution and there's wrath. And Paul very clearly makes some differences in this book between persecution and wrath. There's some afflictions that we're appointed to, but there's some wrath that we're going to miss. We're going to escape. Praise God. We're going to escape. The Bible refers to other places, Jacob's troubles, seven years of tribulation, all those things like that. We're not appointed unto that. We're appointed unto salvation. And we're supposed to comfort one another as we go through these things, as we approach that day. And then number two, he says that we should edify one another back in uh, chapter five. He says, wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. This is the act of building up. Because we are not pointed, appointed to wrath, and because we are appointed unto eternal life, we are to edify one another, to build each other up. And using, again, the previous example of a Christian soldier nearing the end of his duty, because the return of the Lord is imminent, it is nearly impossible for that same soldier to comfort and edify others if his only concern is himself. It doesn't say focus on self. It doesn't say woe is me. It says comfort others. Even we're surrounded there as that soldier with the, at the end almost with just a breastplate and a helmet left. Comfort one another all the way to the end. All the way to the end. Make no mistake though, sometimes the battle that we're in will require all that we have and more. But in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. 
For I am persuaded, Paul says, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, we have an appointment with God. But until he returns, may we be aware, awake, and armed. Let's pray.